We now start with questions of Prime Minister Tommy Shaffer. Number one, Mr Speaker. Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, I'm sure colleagues from around the House will want to join me in congratulating England on last night. Commending Wales for inspiring millions. Uh, and also wishing everyone a happy St Andrew's Day. Uh, Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial... In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Tommy Shepherd. Yeah. In 2014, his predecessor David Cameron signed up to the Smith Commission, which promised, amongst other things, that nothing in its report would prevent Scotland becoming an independent country should the people of Scotland so choose. Can I ask the Prime Minister, does he share that view? And if he does, and in light of last week's Supreme Court judgment, will he bring forward legislation to allow that choice to be exercised? Well, I, Mr Speaker, we, we did have that conversation uh, not so many years ago. It was described as a once-in-a-generation referendum. But, and we discussed this last week. I think what the people of Scotland want is for us to be working constructively together to focus on their priorities. That's indeed what we're doing in his own area, investing hundreds of millions of pounds in a growth deal and ensuring that with a new concert hall we can enshrine Edinburgh's reputation as a city of culture. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I've just returned from the South Pacific and I found there a deep. I've resisted the all-black jokes, Mr. Speaker, but I found there a deep concern at the expanding tentacles of communist China. Would my right honourable friend agree with me that China is more than just, as he put it, a systemic challenge, but in fact an expanding, serious geopolitical threat? Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, China is indeed a country with fundamentally different values to ours and an authoritarian leadership intent on reshaping the international order, but actions speak louder than words, and that's why we passed the new National Security and Investment Act. Just recently, we used that act to block the sale of Newport Wafer Fab, and this week, with our announcement of Sizewell C, we ensured that China's state-owned Nuclear Energy Corporation will no longer be a part of the project. This government making sure that we protect our country's security. Yeah. Yeah. Now comes the leader of the opposition, Kirstarmer. Yeah. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. May I join the Prime Minister in saying, "Well done, England," and I hope we can say that next week and the week after. Yeah. Yeah. Commiserations to Wales, so I'm sure we'll be back in the World Cup tournament yeah. before yeah. too long. Yeah. And of course, Mr. Speaker, we mark that tomorrow is World AIDS Day. Mr Speaker, Winchester College has a rowing club, a rifle club, an extensive art collection. They charge over £45,000 a year in fees. Why did he hand them nearly £6 million of taxpayers' money this year in what his levelling up secretary calls egregious state support? Mr Speaker, I'm pleased he wants to talk about schools because we recently announced billions more funding for our schools. We're we're helping millions of the most disadvantaged children catch up with their lost learning. 
and we're driving up school standards, Mr. Speaker. But during COVID, during COVID, he wanted to keep schools closed. We shouldn't be surprised because I listen to parents and he listens to his union paymasters. Mr. Speaker, his levelling up secretary, I see him down there, who, after all, was education secretary for four years, said you could scarcely find a better way of ending burning injustices than scrapping these hands out. And here's why, and he talks about driving up standards. Just down the road in Southampton, and he'll know this, four in every ten pupils fail their English or maths GCSE this year. Four in ten. Is that £6 million of taxpayers' money better spent on rifle ranges in Winchester or driving up standards in Southampton? Well, well, Mr Speaker, he he talks about school standards. It's under... It's, it's under a Conservative government, and thanks to the reforms of the former Education Secretary, that now almost 90% of schools are good or outstanding. But Mr. Speaker, Mr. Speaker, whenever, whenever, Mr. Speaker, whenever he attacks me about where I went to school, he is attacking the hard-working aspiration of millions of people in this country. He's attacking people like my parents, Mr. Speaker. This is a country that believes in opportunity, not resentment. He doesn't understand that, and that's why he's not fit to lead. Mr. Speaker, Mr. Speaker, if he thinks the route to better education in this country is tax breaks for private schools in the hope they might hand that sum down to state schools, that's laughable. Trickle-down education is nonsense. And, Mr Speaker, it's not just the levelling up secretary. His education minister sitting there asks, how much better would it be if Conservatives got rid of these handouts? He talks about his record. It's simple. He can carry on being pushed around by the lobbyists, giving away £1.7 billion to private schools every year, or we can put that money to good use. End the Tory scandal. He talks about his record. Hundreds of thousands of children leaving school without the qualifications that they need. I've made my choice. What's his? Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, we're improving school standards for every pupil in this country. It's our reforms that are leading to us marching up the PISA league tables for reading, for writing, more good and outstanding schools, more investment in every single school. But he talks about choice. This is about supporting aspiration, Mr Speaker, and that's what this government is proud to do. Mr Speaker, he really does need to get out more. And he he talks about aspiration. Mr Speaker... They are killing off aspiration in this country, and it's not just education. Why is the dream of home ownership far more remote now than it was when his party came into power 12 years ago? Prime Minister. Well, Mr Speaker, what have we done in those 12 years? The highest highest number of new homes started in 15 years. Largest largest number of first-time buyers in 20 years. He he talked about 10 years ago. What do we inherit? The lowest level of house building in a century. Mr Speaker, would you believe it? Mr Speaker, 
Mr Speaker, the simple fact is this. Every year, the age at which people can buy their first home goes up. At this rate, under this government, a child born in the UK today wouldn't be able to buy their first home until they're 45. Now, I love my kids, but I don't want to be cooking them dinner in 30 years' time. (laughs) Now, Mr Speaker, I've heard... I've heard... I've heard he... I've heard he's having a relaunch. Apparently, it's called Operation Get Tough. So, so how tough is he going to get with his backbenchers who are blocking the new homes this country so badly needs? Mr Speaker, we're delivering record numbers of new homes under this government. That's what we're doing. He talks talks about toughness, Mr Speaker. He's too weak to stop dozens of his own MPs joining the picket lines. So if he wants to support support those hard-working families and show some leadership, why doesn't he confirm right now that no Labour MPs are going to join those picket lines? Mr Speaker, whichever way you slice it, it's always the same. Whether it's private schools, oil giants, or those who don't pay their taxes here, every week he hands out cash to those that don't need it. Every week he gets pushed around, and every week he gets weaker. But I can help him with this one. He doesn't need to do another grubby deal. If he wants to defeat that amendment from his anti-growth backbenchers on national targets for housing, Labour will lend him the votes to do so. Country before party, that's the Labour way. Why doesn't he try it? I think we did hear too weak to confirm no one on the picket line. But, Mr Speaker, it's the same old Labour ideas. More debt, more inflation, more strikes and more migration. He's too, he tells his party what they want to hear. I'll take the difficult decisions for this country. And that's the choice, Mr Speaker. It's the politics of yesterday with him or the future of the country with me. of this week's International PSVI conference, the UK again highlighted the need for more action to prevent sexual violence in conflict. With heart-rending accounts of women in Ukraine being brutalised in this way and reports that a third of women in conflict zones can be victims, will the Prime Minister champion with me as his special envoy for freedom of religion or belief the work being undertaken with young people across the world to prevent religion or belief being weaponised, which can later manifest into sexual violence in conflict. Prime Minister. I'm incredibly grateful to my honourable friend for her dedicated work in this area. And she's absolutely right to, to highlight that this week the UK hosted the Preventing Sexual Violence in Conflict Initiative Conference. Uh, it was an incredible success. I pay tribute to all those involved. And as she said, uh, we managed to reach a new political declaration in the conference where over 50 different countries have agreed to put an end to sexual violence in conflict. And she deserves praise for all her work in this area. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I'm sure the whole House will want to join me in sending prayers and condolences to the wife of Doddy Weir, who sadly passed away at the weekend. 
absolute giant of a man, an inspirational figure in Scottish rugby, and someone who raised £8 million for MND charities over the course of the last six years. Our thoughts and prayers are with Cathy, with Hamish, with Angus, and with Ben. Mr. Speaker, let me wish everyone a happy St Andrew's Day. And those that know anything about St Andrew know that he's not just the patron of Scotland, he's celebrated right across Europe. That is why it is such a sad sight to watch this Prime Minister rammed through a bill that would rip up 4,000 pieces of European law. Laws that protect workers' rights, food standards and environmental protections. And it's an even worse sight watching the leader of the Labour Party desperately trying to out-Brexit the Prime Minister. Swiss-style deal. Brexit is now the elephant in the room that neither the Tories or Labour are willing to confront. When will the Prime Minister finally see reality and admit that Brexit is a significant long-term cause of the UK economic crisis? Well, Mr Speaker, can I start by joining my honourable friend in offering our condolences to the family and friends of Doddy Weir, and I'd also like to pay tribute to him for his campaign to raise awareness of MND, uh, which has made a big difference. Now, Mr Speaker, straightforwardly, I was proud to support Brexit. It was the right thing for this country. It, allow, it, allow, it allows us to, first of all, get control of our borders, which is incredibly important, and reduce migration, all of which, Mr Speaker, I know... The, uh, I, 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 I noticed what he said, and I agree with him, actually, about the slight dexterity of the Leader of the Opposition on these, uh, on these topics of free movement. And I know he'll join me in reminding the Leader of Opposition about his previous promise to defend free movement of people, not something that we support, Mr Speaker. But we're also seizing the economic opportunities, deregulating and signing trade deals around the world. That's how we'll drive growth and prosperity. Thank you, Mr Speaker. And can I thank the... Prime Minister for his remarks on Doddy Muir, but once again, what we're seeing over Brexit is better together. We're used to that in Scotland. Yep. The problem for both the Prime Minister and the Labour leader is that when it comes to Brexit, even their own voters don't agree with them. The last YouGov poll showed that a record 56% now believe it was wrong to leave the European yep. Union, and that figure is 71% in Scotland. One in five who actually voted for Brexit have now changed their minds. More and more people across these islands are wise to the fact that make Brexit work is just another stupid slogan. But Scotland can't be stuck with a new Brexit Together coalition of the Tories and Labour. So on this St Andrews Day, can the Prime Minister finally tell people in Scotland the democratic path to escape Westminster control, to deliver independence so we can get back to the European Union? Mr Speaker, he talks, he talks about democracy and votes. I think the difference between him and I is that I respect the result of referendums. He talks about this. Just remember one thing, Mr Speaker. We had the fastest vaccine rollout in the world. We had that because of our freedoms after leaving the European Union. Thank, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, manufacturing remains a key part of the UK economy, and for the West Midlands, that means automotive. That's important in my constituency of rugby, which includes firms in the supply chain and workers at Jaguar Land Rover. With the move to all new cars sold in the UK to become electric by 2030, means that which is critical for us to have a site for battery manufacture. Yeah. Assembly is already taking place elsewhere in the world 
where batteries are made. So will the Prime Minister give his support to the bid for a gigafactory in yeah, Coventry? Yeah. Prime Minister. I pay tribute to my honourable friend's efforts to progress this project. We're fully committed, Mr Speaker, to securing investment to grow our electric vehicle supply chain. Uh, now, although he'll know I can't comment on individual commercial negotiations, we did announce in the Net Zero Strategy £350 million of funding in the Automotive Transformation Fund to support the development of that supply chain, and I wish him every success in his bid. Yesterday, BBC Northern Ireland announced cuts to programming and jobs at BBC Radio Foil that, in my view, will leave the station totally unsustainable. The BBC Charter places uh, an obligation on that organisation to allow audiences to fully engage on local uh, issues. This decision, in my view, is a very clear breach of that obligation, leaving licence fee payers outside the Greater Belfast area without proper local programming. Will the Prime Minister act to defend this very important local public broadcasting service? Prime Minister. Well, Mr Speaker, I believe very strongly in local public broadcasting and indeed the Government has taken steps to support uh, local media. I would be very happy to look at the specific issue he raises and uh, bring it up with the BBC when I next see them. Angela Richards. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, the people of Guildford tell me they want women and girls to feel safe, and I'm delighted to have had some successes in getting lights turned back on, including on York East Bridge on behalf of concerned students at the University of Study, Surrey. Does my right honourable friend agree with me that even in difficult times we cannot take a single step back from the brilliant work this Conservative Government is doing to tackle violence against women and girls? Yeah. Yeah. Prime Minister. Well, Mr Speaker, like my honourable friend, the Government is committed to tackling violence against women and girls and making our streets safer. Uh, we have created the Safer Streets Fund, which funds additional patrols, extra lighting and more CCTV. And indeed, the Street Safe Online tool allows users, including those in her constituency, to pinpoint locations where they feel unsafe so that the local police can take appropriate action. And I will continue to support her in her efforts. I've been on the sorry. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The two boys, 16-year-old boys, Charlie Batalo and Kiani Sianko, were tragically killed in my constituency of Irif and Tanzmead this weekend. My heart goes out to the families and friends left behind. We really need to come across the house to address and tackle serious youth violence. So, can I ask the Prime Minister what he is doing to address knife crime epidemic? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Prime Minister. I, uh, I thank the Honourable Lady for her question and join her in expressing my condolences to the family and friends of the two boys. I also read about it. It's an awful tragedy. Um, she rightly asked what we are doing to make our streets safer and stamp out the scourge of night crime. We are boosting the number of police officers, as you will know, 15,000 on our way to 20,000, and we are also giving them the powers they need to get knives off our streets, including lifting restrictions on stop and search and introducing new court orders to target known knife offenders. I agree with her this is something we need to do more on, and she should know that the Government will be fully committed to tackling it. Gordon Henderson. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, when will my right honourable friend Government bring forward any emergency legislation that's needed to deport those migrants who came across the Channel illegally in small boats and are now being put up in hotels paid for by hard pressed British taxpayers. Yeah. 
Prime Minister. Well, Mr. Speaker, we are determined to do whatever it takes to break the business model of people smugglers who are causing the needless loss of life of people across the Channel and putting unsustainable pressure on our asylum system. Our Nationality and Borders Act, opposed by the party opposite, Mr. Speaker, gives us new powers which we fully intend to use, and we will take further measures as required to properly control our borders and reduce the number of illegal crossings. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. It was sad to see in a video from his Oxford days the future Prime Minister saying he hadn't a single friend who was working class. And he's not likely to make any soon, because while he sits on a personal fortune, he's refusing the reasonable demands of nurses, railway workers and many others forced to take industrial action just to make ends meet. Why doesn't he give them the wage increases they need and fund it by making the rich pay the same rate on unearned income as workers have to pay for their hard graft? And whilst he's at it, why not scrap the non-dumb tax loophole that he's all too familiar with, which is costing the public £3.2 billion? Mr Speaker, I have nothing but admiration and gratitude to our nurses for all the work they do. But, but Mr Speaker, Mr Speaker, it, it is simply unreasonable and unaffordable to have a 19% pay rise. Now, if that's what the Honourable Gentleman thinks is, I'm sure the Labour Party can explain to us how they would pay for that and the impact it would have on inflation. But I tell you this, Mr Speaker, if he really wants to support working people, maybe he should get off the picket line and end the strikes. Mr Speaker, the train service between Wilmslow in my constituency and London was always hourly, direct and took one hour fifty. Now you'd be very lucky if you got a direct train and uh, the journey time is double or often double. And that's not restricted to strike days, that's day in, day out on Avanti trains. So can the Prime Minister tell my constituents what the government's going to do to sort this out and get the West, West Coast service back to what it used to be, because the service at the moment is completely unacceptable? Yeah, well, Mr. Mr Speaker, my honourable friend is absolutely right about the unacceptable deterioration in the quality of Avanti's service. The Transport Secretary is rightly monitoring and holding them to account. There is a plan to increase the number of trains to 100 additional drivers, Mr Speaker, and restoring the full direct service between Manchester and London. But what this plan needs, Mr Speaker, and I hope the party opposite support it, is trade union cooperation. Lyra Wilson. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I'm, I'm I'm sure members opposite felt a certain sense of déjà vu watching the Welsh defence during last night's match. <laughs> After all, they know what it feels like to uh, have Marcus Rashford run rings round them. Marcus Rashford has been a tireless campaigner on child hunger. So, uh, in the face of fierce Conservative opposition, so will the Prime Minister, given that he delivered on the pitch last night, will the Prime Minister give him the best thanks possible by delivering free school meals for every child living in poverty? 
Mr Speaker, we're supporting almost two million children with free school meals. We also, last year, invested hundreds of millions of pounds in the new holiday activity and food programme, which is broadening that support through the holidays for those kids who need it, on top of our work to roll out breakfast clubs across the country. Blake Drummond. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. The pandemic has played havoc with school attendance, and the Children's Commissioner says that almost 115 1,000 children are now being home educated, a 34 per cent higher than before the pandemic, with little, if any, monitoring of their educational welfare. Even worse, nine in ten local authorities believe they have not been able to identify home educated children. So, when will my right honourable friend be bringing forward the register of homeschool children so they are identified and we can be sure that their needs are looked after and they are not falling through the net? My Minister. Mr. Speaker, we support the right of parents to home educate their children and we know many do well, but however, this is not the case for all and that is why local authorities must seek to identify those children missing education. We've published guidance on the arrangements they should be following and indeed make sure that they have oversight of elective home education. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. After record payouts last year to shareholders, the Royal Mail recently this year announced huge half-year losses and plans to cut 10,000 jobs while threatening the cherished universal service obligation, which guarantees a minimum six-day-a-week letter delivery service in the tradition of the black penny from 1840. Why has his government not yet committed to investigate the mismanagement and cack-handed man- mismanagement yeah, yeah. of this iconic British service yeah, yeah. and protecting its future and loyal postal workers? Yeah, yeah. Mr Speaker, again, I have nothing but gratitude and appreciation for the hard work of our postal workers. But when it, I, 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 it is not the right approach. It is not the right approach to go on strike, especially demanding pay, as we have heard, that is simply unaffordable for hard-working British taxpayers. The Honourable Lady would do well to see that, because in the context that we are in, it is simply not possible to give people the type of pay demands that they are making. Andrew Percy. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Due to the unique geography of Brig and Goul and the Isle of Axum, we are one of the most flood-prone areas of the country. So whilst I welcome the record $5.4 billion of flood defence funding, can I ask, my, uh, ask the Prime Minister, ahead of next year's budget, to look at easing the rules around how that money is spent so more of it can be spent on maintenance, which is so important to keeping my constituents dry? Prime Minister. Uh, well, Mr. Mr Speaker, I'm very happy to look at that for my honourable friend. He's right to highlight the doubling of the investment that this government has put in flood defences, but it's right that we get the mix right between that, and I'll take that away with him. Shalene Fletcher. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The West Midlands Chief Constable has revealed that a vulnerable child was forced to spend two days living in a police station during a mental health crisis because the right specialist help could not be found. I know more and more young people are unable to access appropriate support for mental health. Will he accept Labour's plans to scrap private school charitable status and use the money to fund a mental health professional in every school? Mr Speaker, I'd say to the Honourable Lady, we've already committed to offer all state schools a grant to train a senior mental health lead by the end of this Parliament. 
already six out of ten have doing so. There's funding for all of them to have it. In addition to that, we're increasing the support that we give to those with eating disorders because she's right, mental health does affect young people. This government is backing those people to get the support that they need. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The number of people crossing the Channel is a national emergency. The number of migrants in hotels is a national emergency. Isn't it time we had a COBRA-style committee involving the DWP, DLUC, the Home Office, and led by Number 10, to tackle this crisis? Mr Speaker, I share my honourable friend's frustration, and I want to reassure him that we will do whatever it takes to reduce the number of illegal crossings to this country, take any new powers that we need to. I look forward to working with him to ensure we can do that, because this is fundamentally about our sovereignty, Mr Speaker, and the proper control of our borders. Whilst the Labour Party have tried to oppose every measure we have taken, we will keep going, because we need to make sure that we stop the crossings. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Last week, the UK Government's Regulatory Policy Committee stated that the retained EU law bill is not fit for purpose. The Institute for Directors, the TUC and countless others have urged the Government to scrap the bill. And businesses across Scotland have already suffered severe economic damage under this Tory Brexit agenda, and they now see the outlook clouded with even more complexity and uncertainty. If the Prime Minister is serious about protecting the economy and looking after SMEs, why not do the right thing and scrap this disastrous ideological bill now? Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, actually taking advantage of our freedoms is going to drive growth and jobs and prosperity in the United Kingdom. Whether it's in life sciences, whether it's reducing the burdens on data for those SMEs, whether it's in the financial services industry in Scotland, that's how we're going to create prosperity across this nation, Mr Speaker, and that's why we're going to get on and deregulate post-Brexit. I'm going to come again, Mr Speaker. My, um, my right honourable friend and the Chancellor have rightly pointed out that levelling up is for the whole of the United Kingdom. And as a Southampton man, my right honourable friend will know that since the 1970s, Eastleigh has been promised a much-needed Chicken Hall Lane bypass. So will he agree to meet me and Hampshire County Council to finally get this project moving? Well, Mr. Mr Speaker, it's right that we spread opportunity across the country, including in Eastleigh and the South. Uh, I understand that it's for Hampshire County Council to bring forward the proposal for the bypass, which I hope they do at the next funding opportunity, and I'll ensure that my honourable friend and the Council have a meeting with the Transport Minister as soon as possible. Final question on Rob. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Tory ideology blocked onshore wind development in Scotland for years. Peterhead carbon cu- uh, capture clusters lost out in funding twice and still only classes are a reserve. Pump storage hydro schemes have been blocked because the UK government won't discuss a pricing mechanism. If the Prime Minister actually does care about net zero and cares about Scottish jobs, will at least take action to advance uh, Peterhead CCS and pump storage hydro in Scotland? Mr Speaker, not only are we supporting in this country carbon capture and storage, hydrogen, offshore wind, all new technologies that will help us get to net zero, all of which will create jobs in Scotland. We're also supporting our transition, Mr Speaker, and that's good for the Scottish economy and it's good for Scottish jobs and something the SNP would do well to support. That concludes Prime Minister's questions.